Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Fight fans, we welcome you into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio. Have a jam-packed show for you today. Joining us on the program, Teofimo Lopez. He's getting ready for the biggest fight of his life when he takes on Richard Comey December 14th at Madison Square Garden. I was able to go over to his hotel suite just last week over in New York City. Had a great one-on-one with Teofimo just to get his mindset where he's at. Obviously, he had a lot of issues after his last win against Nakatani. A lot of family stuff. He wasn't. There was rumors that he was not going to take the fight with Richard Comey. Ended up taking the fight. Great interview with Teofimo Lopez. You don't want to miss that one. Of course, joining us on the show as well, Curran Batia. He is the host of Ask the Expert podcast. We have another standing eight count segment where we go back and forth debating the biggest topics in boxing. Three minutes apiece, eight rounds. And of course, we're going to touch on a lot that went on this past weekend. Biggest fight of the weekend was Wilder versus Ortiz. Deontay Wilder detonates another right hand, sending Luis Ortiz out of his senses. And another win for Deontay Wilder. Another win where Deontay Wilder was down on all the scorecards. I think uh, all the judges had him down numerous rounds. But the thing with Deontay Wilder is that he knows when and where to throw that right hand. He's no longer, uh, never was, that much of a boxer. But now the, the argument and the Twitter starts to light up. When we talk about Deontay Wilder's power, it's now gotten to the, the same conversations as George Foreman, as Ernie Shavers, Mike Tyson, David Tua, go up and down the list. It's it's being talked about now, Deontay Wilder, as this mythical creature with his right hand. And we're going to talk about it more in our standing eight count segment. But that's the big story of, of the weekend. It's Deontay Wilder uh, moving forward. I thought that he's not going to box in there. But what he does is he's working on different things. He's not going to just teach him how to be a boxer at age 34, uh, having such a late start in the game. But one thing you'll notice when you watch Deontay Wilder fight now is his footwork. All he's trying to do is get as close and close in range for that right hand. Because when it lands, you're going to go down. That's every single guy that he's fought has touched the canvas. Now Luis Ortiz touches the canvas twice. Now we bang the drum for the biggest fight in boxing. February 22nd on uh, ESPN Fox pay-per-view. Of course, I'm talking about Deontay Wilder. And Tyson Fury, and that fight is going to be fireworks. I mean, it's going to be everything that boxing needs right, needs right now. The heavyweight division is back in a very big way. We got Tyson Fury in the mix. Just think about the promotion for that fight. That's why uh, you know, Mike Coppinger of The Athletic had a great article about how that all came together. Think about the promotional machines that are going to be churning full strength uh, for the promotion between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. You got Fox on one side, which has done a great job, uh, not just because I cash checks from Fox, but look what they're doing with with what they did for this fight with Ortiz and, and Wilder, putting together everything on YouTube. The social media was off the charts. Getting, I expect the Ortiz-Wilder fight to do a better pay-per-view number than you think. Uh, but between Wilder and Ortiz, between ESPN and Fox, that fight's going to be on February 22nd, you know, two, three weeks after the Super Bowl. So they're going to, you know, I expect both fighters to be at the Super Bowl. I expect both fighters to be on Fox and ESPN leading up to it. That's going to be huge, huge business. Some other notable fights from this weekend. 
two come to mind, especially us here at CompuBox. It was Zook Khan versus Manny Robles and Brandon Figueroa versus Julio Seja. I'll go over uh, to the Zook Khan fight, uh, which broke record. We saw a record-breaking evening. CompuBox, 34 years of CompuBox, never have we seen a, a featherweight throw 1,562 punches. That is the new record. It's also the sixth most punches thrown in a CompuBox fight any weight class. Uh, Zukan is now a name. I think he threw himself onto the map here. He's going to be fighting for a, a long time. Uh, over on Fox Pay-Per-View, this was the second fight of the night. It was Brandon Figueroa, brother of Omar, is now the Figueroa brother. He fought Julio Ceja. They combined to throw 2,811 punches. That is the second most punches thrown in a super bantamweight history. They combined for 784 landed punches, fourth most in division history. So there you have it right there. Two separate fights where 400 punches were landed. Khan landed 402, Figueroa landed 411. The 400 plus club is prestigious air at CompuBox. There's only 30 fighters in it. And this past weekend, we saw it happen almost simultaneously. It's nuts. It's absolutely wild. My fingers still hurting. Uh, from this weekend, but it was an awesome weekend in boxing. We churned forward uh, with the schedule. We're, we're nearing the end of 2019. We're nearing the end of the decade. This has been an outstanding fall schedule, and the biggest fight, I think, on the schedule hasn't even happened yet. That's Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. We're going to touch on that in our standing eight count with Karambati. We have some interesting uh, quotes from Anthony Joshua. He's starting to pound his chest a little bit as he touched down in, in, in Saudi Arabia. And don't forget to check out our preview show uh, that we have between Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua. That's going to be airing nonstop on uh, Pluto TV. So a lot of things to get to. Our standing eight count segment as well as catching up with Teofimo Lopez. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. Okay, we're here in the lavish hotel suite of the man right here, Teofimo Lopez. We're earshot away from Madison Square Garden. Look out the window. I see MSG. We'll be there December 14th for the biggest fight of your career. Yeah. Richard Comey, title fight. The Teofimo Express rolls on, and I feel like this is it, man. I mean, we've done a lot of interviews together, and you're just kind of building yourself up to this point has like the moment, the scope of everything of what your the goal that you've been set out for since you laced them up at such a young age. It's like we're getting closer and closer, less than a month away. Do you feel the scope of the of the mag magnitude of this coming up? No, I do, man. Uh, I appreciate the interview, man. Um, every time, uh, man, this is big. And from the la from the first time we spoke to now, man, it's the the turnaround of it is crazy, man. The magnitude of it is definitely it's it's remarkable. And I um and what better way, man? Like I said, you know, five times fighting at Madison Square Garden, all by been by knockout. And I want to finish this year again, you know, Heisman Trophy night once again, you know, with Richard Comey, uh, two-time world champion. And at Madison Square Garden, I'm looking to keep the knockout streak going. Yeah, you've been at MSG for, for a while now. You're, just, you're from Brooklyn. Talk about Richard Comey a little bit. Uh, it seems like there's a mutual respect, kind of. Uh, is it? No, fuck that. Um, I, Comey, just, I just see what I see on Twitter. I know, I know. Me and Comey, hey, you know, we got to do what we have to do. You know, but at the end of the day, when we're hey, when it's all said and done, when we're in the ring, uh, we know that we got we to gotta dug it out. 
we got to, you know, he's there taking my bread and butter. I'm there taking his bread and butter. And, you know, I'm definitely there to take his title. So he's going to defend it in the best way he can. I know he's in, he's going to be in tip-top shape. And he's a hell of a fighter, man. And I know he's going to bring his A game that night. Um, he has every reason to. But, yeah, man, nah. Um, I respect him outside the ring. But in there, I respect him. In terms of the X's and O's, obviously we crunch numbers at CompuBox, and I just ran it a report before we got here. He's a little more active than you in terms of punches per round. I think he throws 70 punches around, but he's you're more you have more accuracy. So you're landing 50% of your power shots over your last five fights. But one thing I noticed with him is that he throws jabs, but he doesn't exactly land them. You know, what have you seen from him? The, the length, you just fought a guy who was pretty, maybe even taller uh, than oh, Comey. So you think that gives you some type of an advantage or it gives you some, uh, you know, familiarity with someone that, of that height? A lot of people, uh, like, took that from what I said in my post-fight interview uh, when I said about tall fighters. And what I meant to say by that is, like, I'm no longer fighting tall fighters as of right now. You know, we got, you know, Richard Comey, who's, like, 5'9", or 5'10", and then we got, hopefully, you know, make some where what all the fans want is the Loma-Lopez fight, which Loma's, I think, 5'6", or 5'7", who knows. But, you know, so I don't have no tall guys I'm facing right now. You know, uh, Nakatani was, I think, the second tallest guy I faced. You know, uh, I fought William Silver, who was 6'1". Uh, that was back in last year in July. Uh, but, nah, man, it's it's... The fact that I um, we talk about it, you know, we got Joy Gamash now, who's an assistant coach, uh, who's my assistant coach, and then my father as the head coach. They working together. They watching film each and every day. I don't watch film, but they tell me in the gym what what Comey does, what what are his pros and his cons, and that's what we're working on. You know, uh, Joey Gamage, he he goes in the ring with me, and we work on defense, work on different things, work on the right hands, the left hooks, whatever it is that Comey's known for, and even the things that he's not known for. So, you know, because you never know in the sport of boxing, man, anything can happen. One punch could change it all, so we got to be on point. Yeah, it's two power punchers. I mean, you, both of you guys throw a lot of power punchers, and like I just said, pretty accurate uh, with them as well. How about uh, in terms of there was talks of early on that maybe you weren't going to take this fight. Like you finally got to that, yeah. that level where you were now like the, the next in line to fight for the title. But, you know, things came out, and I'm not going to get into all that, but there, was a, there were some talks that you might not want this fight of your career. What changed for you? Um, I, uh, my wife, man, she, she pretty much, you know, she was like, when things get hard, you just got to push harder, you know, that you always been like that. And I was like, I know I always been, and I never gave up. I'm never the type to give up, you know, but she, uh, she was, man, after my fight, I just, I was going through, I was going through it, man, and she just, she was right there picking me up. So, uh, you know, shout out to my wife, man. So, uh, How's the married life treating you? It's good, man. Uh, well, there's difficult times, but that's in every every marriage or every relationship but overall man we work it out we talk about it that's the main thing communication communication is key man so do you think was there ever a time where you was like hey i don't want i don't want this fight at all or you had to be kind of like talked into it or did you just like you know i'm gonna take the fight but i'm just gonna kind of weigh all my options no nah, yeah i gotta weigh all, all my options i'm a fighter man i cannot let it go so even though i was upset and all these things i just can't let that go i can't I, the fighter in me that flame, that that flare, whatever I have inside, I just cannot let it go. When I have a fight like that or opportunities like that, I definitely can't let that and I can't pass that up, man. Um, fighters that have been six years in professionally and stuff will die for situa uh, for this type of spot right now, you know, and, and being in the spotlight. So I have a lot to be grateful for, and that's what I took 
in, you know, I took that in, you know, instead of being always hard on myself, I took a step back and my wife, she uh, made a poster for me of the things that I'm great at and all these things. And it really made me re- visualize and see that I've came a long way because I'm gonna be honest, man, you get you get sidetracked or you get stuck that you constantly go in. This is my way of thinking of things of things. It's like I'm doing good. Let's keep it going. And I don't stop and I don't take my time to step back at, at things and look at all the stuff that I've grown to and all the things that I've accomplished. And I had to do that, you know, and during that time that I was off, uh, I was in the gym, I was working out, but it was just, I was trying to get my mojo, all that back in and, and visualize and see that, yo, calm down. You don't got to be so hard on yourself. You, you've, you've, you're doing good. You're doing great. And God set this plan that he has for us, man. And it's good. So let's go back to your last fight. And it's something we're seeing now. With these, there's a lot of young, great fighters in, in boxing right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're one of them. But I feel like this happened with Devin Haney's last fight, too. Like, he he looked fine. I mean, he knocked the guy down, and he won t- pretty much every single round. Mm-hmm. Going back to your last fight, do you think that it's fair? I hate the word exposed. I hate that word I think should be eradicated from the boxing lingo. But th- what I'm trying to get to is... Just because you didn't steamroll your opponent in your last time, where do you feel like the criticism is fair to say like, oh, let's let's kind of let's kind of rein it in a little bit on Tiafimo? I'm gonna be Roger Mayweather. People don't know shit about boxing. Uh, this is honest, the truth, man. Um, you got these casual fans, but you got these guys that, and you know, Dan, you see it all the time. You got these guys that just come with a camera and they they want to get a credential to go to the fights, but they're true, just regular casual fans. They don't know really much about anything, man. Just to get on on the platform or something, just to get a free ticket or bypass. Uh, you know, um, the exposed part. You gotta understand that these fighters that we face are trying to win. You know, they have they don't have nothing, but beating us, they have everything. You know, they come up like that off of one fight, you know. So uh, saying the exposed word and everything is just downplaying everything, you know. Fans want to see you in, in tough fights. Fans want to see yeah. Devin Haney in tough uh, fights. I want to see Ryan Garcia in step-up fights. But then when you fight a, a competitive fight, they're like, oh, wait, he's, expo- he's, he's exposed. But that's that, the double standards that I don't understand never, with boxing fans. The thing is, like, you can never please any everybody or anyone. So it's just you got you to gotta know and keep in mind that what you're doing is for yourself, not for yeah. for everybody else. You know that the fans want the big fights, the great fights. I got you. You still I'm got like, your eyes on Lomachenko, got to ask. It's like the question that you're probably going to be asked all day long as you do your, your media day. Oh, especially, yeah, during, like, fight week and everything. Right. It's going to be crazy. Uh, you, you're you the one. You did it yourself. You know, you say, like, you know, you, you, you put it out there that from a young – early on in your career that that's the guy that you want that's the number one target because he has all the belts and he's in your division well yeah that was really it it was just because he had all the belts you know uh loma um i wouldn't be facing loma if he didn't have all the belts you know if he's just a guy that was a two-time gold uh, olympic gold medalist and such and such i wouldn't be facing him. what i want to face him because he has all the belts right. you know and and it's a it's a quick come up all right i hear you man um uh, but yeah, as the fight, um, that is in the works. Uh, hopefully, it does happen. It's still you know, the plan, right? It's still the plan. You know, after Komei, uh, I'm the la- I'm the guy that you know with the last belt. You know, but I gotta beat the champion first. You know, and I know Rich Komei is gonna bring his A game, like I said. And then afterwards, you know, we start, we finish with a bang and start with a boom. Come 2020. 
uh, I, I do want to. I see a lot of videos of you training, sparring on on Twitter. Why Flemington, New Jersey? I was wondering why you went all the way out there. Is it for just a little isolation, but staying on the East Coast? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, just being close by my, to my wife and everything, you know, and and pretty much, you know, have that time where I could like not only concentrate just straight on boxing and fighting, but also have that time where I could just breathe for a second, mm -hmm. just for like a day, just breathe for a second, get my mind right, uh, get everything prepped and ready for next week. Boom. You know, we got Ivan Baranchik in sparring now, who is a 140 former pound uh, world champion. Um, yeah, we got Abraham Nova back in again um, from last camp. We got him this camp around, you know, uh, and we're trying to bring different guys, you know, yeah. different turnups, uh, Ivan Baranchik trying to knock my head off, but that's just how he is, man. He's a beast, you know, but it's been good work. It's been great work, and um, I'm excited, man. I'm more focused at going into this fight than I was for any other fight, and I can feel it, and I can see it, and I know it, and that's the thing that makes it the difference and the game changer. I needed to take a step back, and and it's not – and sometimes you need things to fall just so you could figure things out and pick them back in a better way and, and puzzle it better. Flemington, New Jersey – um, I chose it, you know, being close to the wife, like I said, and, you know, East Coast. But next next camp, we're going to do it in Brooklyn. Okay, good. You're a Brooklyn guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I should have done it in Brooklyn. But, you know. Um, I understand why, you, you know, you want to be you want to be away, but you're also close. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm only an hour away from the city, so it's not it's not that far of a play, uh, drive for me or anything. But, you know, um, I like it better if it's in Brooklyn. Yeah. Here, yeah. lastly, I'm going to pull up this video. This is, mm -hmm. this is from last year. Last year, this time. We were at Jack Doyle's restaurant and bar just down the street. Had to give him a plug right here. But this is, I'm going to play this for you. This is what you said. And I see two, two I say next year I'll become world champion. And it's like I'm two, three fights away from it. Okay, so next time we see you here at Jack Doyle's, you have a strap. Yeah. It'll be strap season. Like like 50 says, get the strap. <laughs> get the strap. There you go. That was the summer. That was just strap. one year ago you said you were going to have a strap. Now we're yeah. one year from now. Can you believe it? Ha what's all happening so fast? It's crazy. And law of attraction, or, you know, what we like to say, man. A lot has changed, bro, especially in the year, man. I fucking got old real quick. Um, <laughs> got more hair now. I got more hair, that's for sure. I got to get, what you use, what you use. <laughs> I use crew. I'm going to try to get sponsorship with them as well. Oh, okay, okay. Shout out, shout out, you know. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think when you set your mind onto something or into something that you really want to do and that you can see that you can do, uh, it'll happen. You just got to believe it, even when people don't see it or believe it. Or they think that you're crazy. Shit, I'm crazy. Every fight is crazy. But we dream big, man. You got to always dream big. Teofimo Lopez, a man with a plan, December 14th. He's fighting for his first world title against Richard Comey right down the street, Madison Square Garden on ESPN. Thanks for the time, buddy. Thank you. The takeover, man. Hey, it's a process. But 2020, unified world champion. Heard it right from the horse's mouth. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. It's time for the standing eight count. I got my man with here, Karan Bhatia. You know him from the Ask the Expert podcast. He's the host of that. Former HBO boxing producer. 
multiple Emmy Award winner, and we're here to talk about some boxing. Obviously, a lot of the rounds that we're going to talk about is from this Wilder fight, his knockout over Ortiz. I know you watched the fight, Kern. What are your initial I thoughts did, on that? Went down? That's, he had a decent right hand, right? I think he has a little bit of power, this guy. I feel like there's a, a, a conversation that's going on on Twitter that's just going to light up Twitter now, going from pound for pound to how powerful that right hand was. But what was your like an initial reaction to that knockout? I was shocked because Ortiz is doing his thing, and then boom, just like that. So obviously very impressive by Wilder. Yeah, so we'll talk about Wilder, we're going to talk about Mayweather, we're going to talk about the PBC belts. Let's get right into it, our first round here on the standing eight count. Obviously, Deontay Wilder admittedly was not winning any rounds in this fight. Larry Hazard may have had it the other way, but he was down on the cards. What my question for you, Kern, is his game plan of looking for one shot too risky? The answer is yes, it is too risky. Now, it's worked out for Wilder so far. Obviously, he's knocked out most of his opponents. But in this fight against Ortiz, he was down on the scorecards. One scorecard, 58-56 for Ortiz. The other two were 59-55. He was losing this fight. And he actually admitted that. Uh, Post-fight, he went up to the desk at Fox and he said, Hey, I'm losing the fight on most scorecards, but I find my right hand. It is a risky strategy because one day he may end up against someone who can kind of box and move, who has a chin, and he may not be able to find that right hand. So uh, my answer to that question is yes, it's too risky. I wouldn't even know if it's if we would kind of categorize it as a game plan or just what Deontay Wilder is at this point in his career. You're not going to change who he is. He's 34 years old. Uh, he got a late start in the boxing game, and he's come a long way. If you took in the last five years, go back to his fights early on with Stavern. He was a little more wild. But what you have here with JDs and Mark Breland, who had one of the best jabs and one of the best amateurs of all time, is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's take with Deontay Wilder. He's not gonna, they're not going to teach him how to jab. They're not going to teach him right. uh, the finer aspects of boxing at this point in his career. What they are going to do is look at his footwork. What it comes down to is him getting in range to land that right hand. Watch how he, next time you watch a Wilder fight, watch how he moves in a little bit. He moves in, he puts that range finder right there. Behind every great right hand for Deontay Wilder is a range finder jab. He does have a very good jab as well. He's one of only three fighters that land more than 30% of their jabs. The others being Anthony Joshua and Gennady Golovkin. But when it comes down to it, I think don't you know don't change who you are at this point. Just kind of refine what you do. And what he has is the most powerful right hand in the heavyweight division today in boxing and maybe of all time. If they say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, like you said. But it kind of is broke, and I'll tell you why. It's worked so far against every opponent except. Tyson Fury, right? Uh, Wilder was trying to find the right hand all night. He finally found it in the 12th round, and obviously we know Fury got up and it was a draw. But it was a close fight, and he almost didn't get the knockdown there. So that is that is bad for Wilder if, if he can't find that right hand. And guess who his next opponent is? Tyson Fury. Supposedly. So, supposedly in February right. of 2020. They're, they're trying to make it uh, come together for February 22nd at T-Mobile Arena. But what if Fury boxes again? Fury has a decent chin. And what if Wilder isn't able to find him? So I think, I think it's too risky of a strategy. Now, to your point about Wilder not learning new things, I guess it was reported by Joe Goosen on the broadcast. He said, Wilder's team is working on new things in the gym. They're trying to teach a special secret punch, which I guess was a right hook that he was working I think it, on. I think it was that left... Something I saw from Wilder in this fight that I had mm -hmm. not seen was a, was a quick looping left hook. Right. Like a quick one. He actually hit Ortiz with a few of those. Maybe that... But like you said, I don't think they're going to change him, nor should they. They should just refine everything they're doing with him. There's a couple things that are always true in boxing. There's always going to be big knockouts in the heavyweight division. And now in modern day, there's going to be big discussion on Twitter. Deontay Wilder, one of the most polarizing figures 
in boxing. So, as soon as he knocked out Ortiz, the debate started on Twitter. So let me ask you this, Dan. Is Deontay Wilder one of the highest, most powerful punchers in heavyweight history? Yeah, it's funny. We went away from the fighter of the decade conversation right. on Twitter. Now we're talking about the power of Deontay Wilder, where it stacks up all time uh, in the heavyweight division. I don't know. It's just like a pound-for-pound pound debate. It's very subjective. Boxing is one of the most subjective sports out there. There's not a man out there that's tasted the power of Ernie Shavers, George Foreman, Mike Tyson, Deontay Wilder, or whoever you have on your list. So how do you really gauge... What, like, how do we gauge what is the most powerful fighter? I like to listen to the fighters out there. Uh, the, a lot of fighters weighed in, a lot of box current uh, fighters weighed in, and they all said that Deontay Wilder has earth-shattering power, has generational power. But the main thing is now, Deontay Wilder's in the discussion. He's in that room. He's in that, that air there. So I think we need to kind of just accept what it is and kind of be like, you know what? We have our guy in our division, in our generation, that stacks up with these mythical, you know, guys that we never thought we'd be in the same discussion with. He's certainly in the conversation. Obviously, people are now comparing his power to Mike Tyson. If you look at his knockout percentage before the fight, it was 95.2%. Now it's up to 95.3%, so it's slowly creeping up there. He's also in the discussion in other ways, right? He, he defended his title 10 times, so that's been done only by Ali, Holmes, Lewis, and Klitschko. So he's in the conversation, in the rare air, so to speak, with the other great heavyweights. He's becoming part of that story, and so you're going to have to start putting him in these mythical debates, and that includes, you know, heavyweights of all time, that includes the best of the era, that includes the most powerful uh, puncher, and that's, that's what we're talking about. And I think part of it is that he has these spectacular knockouts, and that just adds to his overall aura. And I think, I think the boxing purists out there, and there's a lot of them uh, in the boxing world, they have a hard time putting him in that conversation with some of the all-time greats in the heavyweight division, like a George Foreman, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, go down the list because Deontay Wilder is a flawed fighter, but that's what makes him exciting. We're not talking about who's the best heavyweight of all time because it's not Deontay Wilder, it's who's the most powerful puncher. And when it comes to the heavyweight division, and I've noticed this, when you take a look at the pound-for-pound -pound rankings, it's very rare you see a heavyweight in the top five because they are not looked at as sweet scientists. They're more looked at as powerful punchers. That's what Deontay Wilder is. And another thing is, we need to just kind of accept the fact that we are living in a great time in the heavyweight division, not only because it's never been more exciting or hasn't been this exciting uh, since the mid-90s, but we have a guy, Deontay Wilder, who's giving us those highlight reel knockouts, who's giving us those Mike Tyson moments. How many current, we're generally the same age. We have to just hear stories about the power right. of Mike Tyson or the power of George Foreman or Ernie Shavers. Now we have our guy here, Deontay Wilder, who is an American, who's brash, who talks a lot of smack. So let's accept Deontay, Deontay Wilder for what he is rather than talk about everything that's wrong with him. Exactly. It's not exactly what you said. It's not the best heavyweight of all time. It's saying the best puncher of all time. It's like saying Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. He's not necessarily the best basketball player uh, of all time. So that, that's kind of where the, the debate is at. Now, you also have to look at Deontay Wilder has said this before, and I think it was definitely proven true. He only has to be right for two seconds. Everyone else that he has to be, everyone else that he fights has to be right for 12 rounds. He only has to be right for two seconds. And if you look at the punch statistics provided by CopyBox, Ortiz landed 35 punches, uh, Wilder landed 34. But it was that 34th yeah. punch right. that put Ortiz down and out. If you heard that collective sigh of relief after Wilder Ortiz was over, that was the top-ranked executives knowing that they now have the rematch that has been marinating for over a year. Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury supposedly scheduled for February 22nd in Las Vegas, we think. current my question for you here is, who has the edge going into the rematch? 
I'm going to give the edge to Deontay Wilder in the rematch against Tyson Fury, and I'll tell you why. I think Deontay Wilder is actually getting better, and I think he showed that in his fight against Ortiz. Now, we know the strategy was risky to kind of wait and, and see till you get the opening for the right hand, but... If you notice, when he did get the, final, the right hand, he set it up beautifully with his left. He actually was blinding Ortiz. He said he worked on that in the gym, to blind you with the left hand, and then boom, the right hand comes in over the top. He worked on that in the gym, and I think he's actually improving those skills. Obviously, we know he got into boxing late at 19 years old, so he's still kind of evolving. Tyson Fury, on the other end, he's doing a lot of things, right? He, he, he did a uh, wrestling, a WWE match. He wants to fight in MMA. He's recording music. I don't think his head is in it the same way that Deontay Wilder is. And Deontay Wilder also said post-fight that he feels good about keeping the continuous training camps going, right? He's kind of building yeah. off. He said shape on top of shape. So I give the edge to Deontay Wilder. I just actually listened to that song that Tyson Fury did with Robbie Williams called Bad Sharon. Want to check it out on Spotify. I just gave Tyson Fury a plug here. But I give Deontay Wilder the slightest of edges heading in, into the rematch, mainly because I think that Tyson Fury is a much better fighter than Luis Ortiz is in every aspect of the game. I think he has a better jab. I think he lands it more often. I think uh, Tyson Fury has a very underrated power punch with that right hand. He actually cracked Wilder a few times when Wilder had him hurt, uh, vice versa, in that 12th round. But I'm giving the slightest of edges to Deontay Wilder, mainly because of the less wear and tear since their first fight. I mean, look at Deontay Wilder. He had one round against Dominic Brazil. This fight with Luis Ortiz, he only got hit with 35 punches. None of them actually hurt him. And then you took a look over at Tyson Fury, which you just highlighted, you know, the, all the distractions. But let's talk about the fight he had with Otto Valin. He did not think it was going to go that long. He did not think that there was going to be a 46 stitches in his eye. So I think that Tyson Fury has taken a little more of the wear and tear. You know, the weight fluctuation, I, does, I do think you have to play a role here too. But I give Deontay Wilder the slightest of edges, mostly because of the momentum that he has going into the rematch. And the other thing that you have to look at is how the other, the first fight ended. Now, in that 12th round, we all know Deontay Wilder from the right hand with the left hook. Tyson Fury went down. Now, I spoke to Deontay Wilder. He feels like Jack Reese had a slow count. I spoke to Jack Reese. Jack Reese feels like he did the correct count, of course. Now, I took a stopwatch to it. I had 9.98 seconds. So on my count, that means Wilder was 0.02 seconds away from getting the knockout, and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. With that all said, I actually think Wilder probably found something, that opening, um, on, on, wh on what to do on Tyson Fury, and I think he'll be able to do that again in the rematch. And also, I think that Wilder can't figure out Fury. I think Fury is in his mind, and that style is going to give Wilder fits, and he's a better boxer uh, than Ortiz. We have a massive heavyweight fight coming up. Anthony Joshua, actually, no, I'm sorry. I should say Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua, right? That's going to be on December 7th on The Zone. Now, it's been a little quiet in terms of what's going on in their training camps. We see Ruiz from time to time. Photos emerge. We see him on Instagram. From the Joshua side, not so much. But, Dan, I'm going to read a quote to you that came out recently. Joshua talking to Sky Sports. And I'm going to read it to you. He said... I'm fighting the best man in the world now. I'm going to whoop him and show you how great I am. They think he's so great. So when I beat him, I want everyone to bow at my feet and tell me how great I am. There hasn't been a lot of storylines for this fight. Should we be reading into this quote? Uh, I don't know how I take that quote. Like, what's the context of it? I mean, is Anthony Joshua, was he laughing while he said it? Was he dead serious? Was you know, he looking into the eyes of whoever he was talking to at, at Sky Sports? So, you know, we spent some time with Anthony Joshua. He's a very charming guy. Like, he told us some jokes. He was cracking jokes the entire time we were with him. You know, he even made that line of, if I beat Andy Ruiz, 
I'm fighting the guy at the end of the bar. I'm fighting a bum. If these guys are all going to fight bums, let me fight a bum. So I got to know how he said it. But I'll tell you what, I do like that he said this. I feel like he's maybe getting his swag back just in time. I know he just landed it in Saudi Arabia. Maybe he's feeling it, getting closer to the fight. So he's amping up the rhetoric a little bit. But it is nice to see because I feel like he was a little too laid back at times, especially heading into that fight. I went back and watched the one-night documentary on the zone, which I thought was phenomenal. Mike Tyson, I mean, unbelievable. But... I thought that Ruiz, I mean, Joshua watching his ring walk, watching him in the ring before the, the anthems, so laid back, so chill. I want to see that killer come out in Joshua. Maybe he'll start fighting like he did in the first 16 fights of his career. We know that the rematch is going to be a battle of adjustments, right? They're fighting six months later. Who can make the adjustments? Now, like we said, we haven't heard a lot about Joshua. He's kind of been in that Superman fortress of solitude, right? Making <laughs> well, that small house he lives in on the cribs. <laughs> Right. He, making those changes, kind of trying to stay focused, right? He did, he, not a lot of media going on. So who can make the changes? Now, on the flip side, with Ruiz, it seems like every week there's a new photo emerging of him where he looks like he's slimming down yeah. more and more. I personally think Joshua is going to make the correct adjustments. He's going to be more technical. I think it's going to be a more boring fight. Right? I think it's going to be like uh, Joshua's fight against Joseph Parker where he's going to work the job, work from the outside, not open up too much. And I actually think for Ruiz... It's what we've been talking about. If it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it. He's been at a good, consistent weight, 250, 260 pounds. I don't think he should lose too much for the rematch. My official pick, because I know that the next time we speak will probably be after the fight, my official pick is Joshua. What's your pick? Um, I'm on the other side. I think Ruiz is going to win. I was leaning Joshua for a while, but I, like you said, I think that he has, has his number. I think Ruiz has Joshua's number, and I actually asked this to Andy Ruiz when we got to interview him. I said... Every, everyone's talking about what AJ's doing wrong or what AJ needs to change, right. AJ's psyche. But for you, you just have to go in there and do everything you've been doing your whole career. Throw punches and bunches. Let your hands go. So I th ultimately think December 7th, Andy Ruiz knocks out Anthony Joshua once again. And then we have to talk, start talking about maybe Ruiz versus Wilder. That throws a wrench into his plans with Fury. We're going to shift away from the heavyweight division and get into the rumor mill. Boxing would not be boxing if we didn't talk about some rumors. The biggest star of yesteryear, Floyd Mayweather, goes on Instagram and declares that he is returning in 2020. Some rumors and some details are starting to come out with a, a UFC fight and Dana White. They're at a, a basketball game together. He was reposting everything Floyd Mayweather was saying, but things are starting to trickle out. Maybe we see a boxing match and then a fight against a UFC star. Kern, my question for you, we've heard this once before, or twice before, three times before from Floyd Mayweather. Are we taking this rumor serious? Boxing and rumors go hand in hand. You know what else goes hand in hand? Fighters coming out of retirement. Floyd Mayweather has come out of retirement before. He fought Conor McGregor. He fought exhibition matches. I actually think he wouldn't have made that statement unless he really is planning something. Obviously, the rumor mill uh, is going crazy. So we've heard maybe a rematch against Manny Pacquiao. Obviously, in the first fight, Manny versus Floyd, Manny said his shoulder was hurt. So it kind of gives him some credibility to say, hey, let's get the rematch going. The other name is, of course, Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's in UFC, and we know that the Dana White also reposted Floyd's pose, kind of hinting that there may be a boxing match there between Floyd and Khabib. I doubt that we ever see Floyd Mayweather in the octagon. I don't think he's going to go into MMA. I think he's going to stick to boxing where he's comfortable. 
Those are the rumors, and I expect to see something because we know what Floyd Mayweather loves more than anything is money, and these are big money-generating events. Yeah, all the thing he likes is attention, and he right. look, look at the timing of this. He always seems to make these declarations that he's coming back, you know, days before a big event. He did it with Canelo Triple G. He upstaged them with the McGregor fight. He's done this before. This time, he upstaged his own event, which is a new wrinkle from Floyd Mayweather. He is a co-promoter of Deontay Wilder and Mayweather Promotions that put on the fight uh, with Ortiz. But I really think that Floyd has backed himself into a corner here. He made such a big uh, proclamation with this this uh, saying he's going to come back, having Dana White in his corner, that I think he has to fight now. I think it's not going to be an exhibition. And if it's going to be one of these fights, it's going to be a UFC guy like Khabib, like you just named, then the other one has to be a legitimate boxing guy. And it's not going to be Canelo Alvarez because Canelo's sitting there at 175, 168. That fight's not going to happen. It's not going to be uh, the other big heavy, uh, welterweight. It's not going to be Errol Spence because he's just too damn big and he's too damn good. And it's also not going to be Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford can post all the pictures he wants on, on Instagram of them together. That's not going to happen. So that means the only logical opponent, money-wise and for an actual even fight, or maybe not, is with Manny Pacquiao. Now, Manny Pacquiao coming off of those two great performances over Broner and, and Keith Thurman. Does he really want to get into the ring with Manny Pacquiao at this stage? I think Pacquiao is the fresher fighter. I think he's the, obviously he's got momentum because he's actually been fighting. Floyd hasn't been in the ring since 2017. That was against McGregor. Go back, his last fight against an actual fighter was Andre Berto in 2015. So I think Floyd really backed himself into a corner here, and he has to fight his way out. Here's what we know. Floyd Mayweather is 42 years old. He's not going to take risks at this point in his career. We know he loves money. His exhibition fight against uh, Tension in Japan, he made $9 million. If he fights Pacquiao again, let's say he gets half of what he made last time. We're still talking in the $100 million range. But you brought up something interesting. Terrence Crawford posting that photo. Let's make that fight happen, man. I want to see that fight. Crawford versus Mayweather. I doubt it'll ever happen, happen. but I would, I would love to see that one happen. All right, moving along here on standing eight count. So Bill Wanger, who's the Fox Sports EVP, is in charge of boxing over there. He came out and said recently that they're going to create a PBC belt. We have a lot of belts in boxing, Dan. Should there be a PBC belt? Uh, listen, I like to look at things. When I presented a, a new idea, I like to look at all the variables here. The pros and the cons of everything when weighing a, a decision like this and when weighing uh, a new idea. And I simply cannot come up with one positive thing when it comes to adding more belts in boxing. This is a sport that is rich in meaningless belts, and we're about to add more meaningless belts uh, to, to the equation here. I do not understand how this can possibly be a, a good idea. It, it definitely can. That's the whole problem with the sport is too many belts. But one thing is interesting. I interviewed Deontay Wilder, and I said, hey, I know that you don't want the WBC franchise belt, but would you want the PBC belt? And you know what his answer was? Yes, because he likes that there's no sanctioning fees. So well, how whole, do we know that? Do we know that's for certain? That's, that's what they're saying, that the PBC belt won't have sanctioning fees. So he likes that approach. He likes having a belt where there's no fees involved. Obviously, we know that... The, the sanctioning bodies, they charge fees. They charge fees for their interim titles, for their emeritus yeah, title. Yeah, it's a bracket. That's how, they, that's how they make their money. So it is interesting that they're trying to do a different type of belt, but overall, it's not a good thing to have more belts. If this was two, uh, 2015, and it's January 2015, and the PBC was about to be forming in, in a few months, I would be all for it. And that's what I thought the PBC was going to do. Uh, this is an idea that would have made sense then. Then I would have said, maybe we can have an, an idea here where the PBC could have their own champions and they can start a league and they can really identify themselves and separate themselves right. from the rest 
and have a PBC champion. Now, you're just giving another belt to another guy. And also, does this mean that the PBC, the title holders, let's say Errol Spence fights in his next fight, should he come back, I think he will, and he wins a PBC belt, does that mean he re relinquishes his other straps, and then that, then what? Who gets those other straps? More fighters, therefore more belts. I don't. I think it would have been a good idea if it was PBC was the only show in town, and I think that we are light years away from just having one entity in boxing. We we are light years away. Zufa Boxing, Dana White said he's not going to recognize the the belts that we have, so he's going to make his own belt. And the other problem with this is that the, now we're making belts with contingencies, right? So the franchise belt that the WBC made it means that the person who has that belt can go in multiple weight classes, but they don't necessarily lose it when they lose it's voted on by a panel so now it, it throws a wrench in everything because let's say you have like you said Errol Spence has the PBC belt he fights Terrence Crawford let's say Terrence Crawford wins hypothetically is Terrence Crawford gonna defend the PBC <laughs> on belt on ESPN yeah. I don't think so so we certainly don't need more belts and we certainly don't need more belts with contingencies yeah it's starting to get like a WWE WCW <laughs> vibe to it where it's like I'm gonna steal your belt and bring it over to Nitro and you're the champion of Raw it's getting out of control and I, I don't think I think he meant well Bill Wanger with, with these comments right but maybe it's just a plan I I mean, he didn't say for sure it's going to happen, but it seems like PBC has a plan, and when they have a plan, they usually execute it. Kern, the news cycle moves so fast in this country, and it also applies to the boxing world. Last week, we were arguing about fighter of the decade. Now we're talking about Deontay Wilder's power punching. But just before those two debates was Sergey Kovalev's comments that he made on Instagram Live while he was driving in Russia about... Calling all of us ignoramuses, ignorami, I don't know what the word is, but it's just hilarious to say that we are all stupid for thinking that he could win this fight, and he cited the weight, which I don't understand, because he had just fought a couple weeks before, and you would think that he wouldn't balloon up. But what my question for you is, why do fighters insist on making excuses after fights that they lost? First of all, that's hilarious because that was his weight class. Canelo was the one coming up to weight classes. Why do fighters make excuses? Well, that's because as a fighter, you need to market yourself to get the big fights and therefore the big payday. So if you don't look good, people are going to say that you don't deserve the next big fight and then you won't get the payday. So you want to make an excuse and say, hey, I actually didn't look good because of X. Now, we all remember after the big Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, there's Pacquiao at the post-fight press conference, his hand is on his shoulder, you know, that visual. Right, and you didn't hear about it in the lead-up at all. We didn't hear about it in the lead-up. Now, he probably was injured, and it probably is a legitimate reason, but it comes out as an excuse. The other big one we have to talk about, of course, David Hay and the toe. If you remember, David Hay fought Vladimir Klitschko in Germany. David Hay talked a lot of smack before the fight. He did absolutely nothing in the fight, and afterwards, he stood <laughs> at, on the table at the press conference, the post-fight press conference and said look at my toe I, I hurt my toe yeah so those are some famous excuses in boxing we also have to look at there's a lot of guys who don't make excuses and that is admirable yeah i mean guys like look just comes to mind right away is regis program after his right. fight with josh taylor did not cry about it. it was a very close fight but it, to me i get more respect about that fighter i want to see him fight away, uh, again i'm going to pull out right here sure. some of the infamous excuses from uh, Sergey Kovalev. His first fight against Ward, he says he ran out of gas. I mean, that's relatable. I mean, we, we go outside right now and he ran around the block, I'd run out of gas. So I can kind of relate to that one. Second one, he, he blamed the low blows as being the, the main uh, reason he lost. But then you talked about some all-time great excuses. <laughs> How about this one? He says that John David Jackson poisoned him in the corner. 
He put something in his water bottle that shut him down. It wasn't vodka, because that would probably made him fight a little bit better. <laughs> but it's just unbelievable. Then, you know, eventually poison he said the leader Alvarez fight. He overtrained. But, you know, boxing has so many stories of these guys uh, saying uh, these excuses. You know, Miguel Cotto. I love Miguel Cotto, one of my favorite all-time fighters. But he, you ask him about a loss that he had in his career, he'll come up with an excuse every day. Same thing with Marco Antonio Barrera. Uh, same thing uh, with Marquez. These guys who never say that they simply lost the fight. I guess it's because they're stubborn and like you said, it's a marketing thing to make them want to get that next fight. You always hear that, oh, I had a bad camp. My sparring wasn't good. Leo Santa Cruz actually just won his fight. It was a close fight. And then he came out and said, I'm not going to make excuses. But something happened in camp. Well, are you kind of making an excuse because you're, you're telling us that something happened in camp? The other one I want to go away is every time I see a fighter do poorly, I hear his promoter say, oh, he had the flu leading up. Yeah, everyone had the flu. He had the flu. It's something you can't prove. It seems like everyone who had a bad performance had the flu. Listen, I want that to go away. I'm suffering from the flu-like symptoms for this show. <laughs> so if we have a, here if today, we have a yeah. bad show, it's because <laughs> I had the flu. Alright, last topic here. So, it's Thanksgiving week. We obviously have to talk about what we are thankful for. So, Dan, what are you thankful for? I mean, there's so many things to be thankful for this, this holiday season. And uh, I have a few that I've written, wrote down here. And uh, these are some things that I just, when I think about the boxing world and what I'm thankful for, and these are the ones that come to mind. Sure. Manny Pacquiao's left hand. The, the mute button on Twitter. PBC on Fox, 8 p.m. starts. Steve Smogercam on the zone, Nico Macias, box rec, Sean Porter's giant Windsor knots, Richard Dwyer, uh, Mark Marcos Maidana's stylist, James Bag Jr., Brian Campbell, and of course, we can this thankful season, we cannot do this without being thankful for the man, Mr. Al Heyman. There you go. Wow. Okay, that's that was a good list there. So Mine is a little different. I have Deontay Wilder's right hand. Oh, I had Manny's left. There you go. Right. So there's the left, there's the right. I have to be thankful for Floyd Mayweather's ego, right? Always inserting himself in the big fight moments and coming out with some kind of crazy uh, announcement. Uh, I, we got to be thankful for CompuBox statistics, right? Don't they, don't they tell the story? They about, do. Right? Here's, here's one actually specifically for you. Dan, you said in one of our previous segments you wanted to be a ring man. You wanted to be the first ring card Wait, girl already, as a man. I kind of take that back. Yeah, well, I'm very thankful that that never happened. That's what I'm thankful for, and I actually hope that that never happens. Um, I'm also thankful for the way that boxing is going right now. It's on a lot of different networks, a lot of different platforms. You can kind of see it so many places. So let's hope that the sport keeps growing and we keep getting big matchups. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I know I make jokes and these are obviously, I am thankful for Steve Smoker Cam. I am thankful for Sean Porter's giant neckties. But in, in all honesty, like I am thankful that boxing is on every weekend. We, we are boxing nuts. So the people that watch every week love the sport of boxing. And I know it takes a little bit out of your wallet uh, to have a subscription to the zone, to pay for pay-per-views, to pay for right. ESPN Plus, And the, no one gets treated worse than the boxing fans uh, in the sports world. So I am thankful that there is boxing on pretty much every single weekend. I gotta um, work on them too, and that's another thing that I'm thankful for, to be able to work in the sport of boxing and to be able to work with my brother and my dad and to get this, to do this show here uh, with you. So on a personal note, there are some things that I am thankful for, but mostly I'm really thankful for uh, Sean Porter's necktie. <laughs> there you go, and, and just like you said, to get a little bit serious, we're lucky that we get to work in this sport, and I'm thankful for this show, that we can debate and talk boxing, and all our fans and supporters of this show, the people who tune in to, to The David Cushings of the world. Yes, the Tim Box 
sales of the world. Yeah, special shout out to Tim and David and all our great fans who watch the Standing 8 Count debate show. I think we're all thankful for that. So what's the plan though for Thanksgiving for you? You said you're going to stay in the city. How do you attack the meal? Like, what do you go for? I mean, you got to go all in on the meal, right? So you got the plate and you want to kind of stack the food as high as you... Yeah, I don't go... I don't like to do seconds and thirds. I want my first plate to kind of be as high so I can barely see over it. And then you kind of got the football in the back. You got the family around. So that's my game plan. What's yours? I don't know if anyone cares, but recently I've changed. I'm gluten-free now. Ah. I'm officially washed up at over the age of 30, 32 years old. Can't eat gluten now. So that's going to change how I go about it. Maybe I'll, I'll divulge and kind of give in and then just have to just worry about it later. I'm sorry to my family that's to spend the next possible days with me if I start eating gluten and dairy. But there it is. I am thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful for the standing eight count here. Uh, it's been a great one with you, Kermit Bhatia. We'll be back, though. We're going to come back for another standing eight count segment. And it's going to be after Wilder. I'm uh, not after Wilder. It's going to be after Ruiz and Josh. There's going to be a lot to talk about as heading into the, the final end of the year. So boxing is starting to round into form here heading into the next decade. But there's still some big fights on the schedule as well. That is a wrap for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. A special thanks to our guest, Teofimo Lopez, and a special thanks to the top-ranked PR man, Mr. Evan Korn, for putting that interview together. Also, a special thanks to Kerwin Bhatia for joining me once again for an outstanding, standing eight-count segment. People, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, if you haven't left us a rating, please do so. Leave us a five-star rating. Go subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you hate your family and you're getting tired of them on Thanksgiving, listen to the podcast. Tell a friend about it. We'll be back next week for another hard-hitting edition of Inside Boxing Live.